You're listening to the Apex Fantasy Football Podcast. Hello, fellow fantasy football fanatics. Welcome back to the Apex Fantasy Football Podcast. We're recording Tuesday afternoon after week four, a week which saw some COVID-19 scares. Luckily, we got pretty much all the games in, including the Chiefs-Patriots one we weren't sure we were going to get. We got a lot of actionable content for you this episode. We're going to go through different backfields that are kind of quagmired and committees tell you how to play those going forward. We're going to go through some different wide receiver and pass catcher situations that might be in limbo as well. Of course, go through waivers with some big injuries at the running back position this week. And then we're going to play a game called Sell, Miss, or Cut, where we go through various players who've been underperforming, tell you exactly what to do with them, whether you want to try and trade them, whether they're even worth a roster spot, or whether you just, maybe they're not good enough to cut, but they need to get out of your starting lineup, even if you spent a high draft pick on them. Let's dive right in to some backfields in which are just completely up in the air, and one that we thought could support multiple fantasy assets is instead just almost renders none of them playable. And that's the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, We all like JK Dobbins here on this podcast. We thought maybe Ingram would start off as the workhorse. Gus Edwards, we thought would play a distant third fiddle, but here we are not knowing which one of the three to start. Mike, how are we exactly going to navigate this Ravens backfield going forward? So it's obviously a difficult situation, and the fact that Gus Edwards is so involved is becoming more and more concerning. We, for we didn't see these. it coming. I, I don't think anybody saw his role being this big, and it's very concerning because it becomes very difficult for any of these guys to have fantasy value. Up until this game, the expected points for each member of the Ravens' backfield is 28.4 for Ingram through four games, Dobbins is at 21.3, and Gus Edwards at 13.4. So through four games, they really have to outperform their workload in order to score fantasy points. And by far, J.K. Dobbins' 11.1 points over expectation is outperforming the rest of the backfield. He's doing so on the ground, and he's also doing so through the air. So for me, I'm trying to sell Ingram and Edwards as the season goes on. I think that the Ravens will come to their senses and use the running back that they spent a second round draft pick on. Dobbins has been good whenever we've seen him on the field. And this is a guy that in his profile can do everything. Ingram doesn't look like the explosive player he once even was. I'm not even sure at the best point in his career he was as good as Dobbins. And now we throw in the fact that he's a bit older. Gus is kind of a plotter. I mean, he's he's good at what he does, but he is a runner. He's not a receiver. And Dobbins is a special running back that's able to do a little bit of everything. And it, it surprises me that Dobbins, they trusted him in pass protection so quickly. If you looked at the analytics at Ohio State, the percentage he was getting in terms of pass work wasn't bad, but the raw numbers weren't good. It was a question mark of his going into the draft, but it's clear that they trust him a lot in pass protection. Before we go any further, Mike, we're going to be looking through a lot of these backfields and these pass catching situations as well through the lens of what we call expected points. Why don't you explain to our listeners exactly what that is? So expected points are take out the efficiency of the running back or wide receiver. Let's look at the opportunity that they're receiving. And based on that opportunity, how many fantasy points do we expect them to score based on their role? 
And then we can talk about whether they're underperforming or overperforming uh, that role and that opportunity. So, so this is a purely opportunity-based metric. That's basically what the average fantasy starter would do with that opportunity, correct? That is correct. And we will also throw in their efficiency in combination with that. So when I spoke about J.K. Dobbins, he was outperforming the workload that he's receiving more so than any other Ravens running back. Okay, that makes complete sense and also matches what we've seen. I mean, he's been impressive with the touches he's gotten, but none of these guys have gotten the amount of touches that we would expect to really run with the job. You know, they, none of them have broken away. Ingram may have been a decent receiver at times in New Orleans, and, but it looks like that's Dobbins' role. Uh, is he a guy you're buying going forward? I, I don't think that Ingram is a guy worth buying. I think that this— How about Dobbins? Here, Dobbins, yes, is certainly a guy that I'm buying. I think okay. that as the season goes on, these younger players become more involved. And the Ravens could use a guy who's a, an above-average receiver coming out of the backfield. And I just think it's a matter of time until they feel more comfortable giving him the lion's share of their backfield touches. Another backfield that is has looked good for one guy, but you know might start to catch up with preseason expectations as Philip Lindsay gets healthy is the Broncos. Uh, you know, Gordon's a guy who is on our avoid list. Um, he has performed quite well uh, fantasy-wise when given the opportunity. In terms of expected points, do you think he's going to continue to monopolize the carries and backfield touches in Denver? I think that Philip Lindsay becomes more involved and I think that this may be a very good opportunity to sell high on Melvin Gordon. He's coming off a huge week. He had a nice matchup. And I do think that he's still going to be valuable and perhaps be 1A in this backfield. But I don't think that he'll be seeing as big of a share as the backfield touches as he's currently receiving. And for that reason, I think it's a really good time to get out when we know Philip Lindsay's a talented player. We saw them split while Philip Lindsay was healthy in week one. And now you have an opportunity coming off a big game to get out of this situation and maybe uh, see some good ROI on your Gordon investment and get another player who's maybe more valuable. Yeah, I, I think that's a really good idea. What What about the argument, though, that this offense is so decimated by injuries that there's room for both of these guys, that for Gordon to be a high-end RB2 and Lindsey to be a, a solid flex option? Or do you think that they're just going to cannibalize each other in that backfield? I just don't think it's good enough of an offense. I do think that they'll both have fantasy value, um, but this isn't an offense that's going to be up. It's going to be rushing a lot of touchdowns. They're going to have to do a lot through the receiving game, and they may be capable, but it's not like these offenses are throwing for a ton, and I just don't think the opportunity will be there for both of them to be reliable uh, RB2s or better. You know, Dalton's been awful quiet this podcast so far, but this next guy I think will get him out of his shell. What's going on in Detroit with your guy, DeAndre Swift, Dalton? I mean, he's gotten uh, uh, maybe 15 carries this season. AP is monopolizing the carries in that backfield. What are you making of DeAndre Swift's role in Detroit? I don't know. It seems like you're putting like a little negative tone on what his role's been so far. And I'm not sure that I'm necessarily buying that um, what we've seen so far has totally been negative. We've only seen really one bad game from Swift, and that was in week three when he saw like 
five total snaps or something ridiculous, but we did see him get utilized a little bit more in the receiving game uh, this week, um, which was obviously nice to see. He's currently um, at 16 targets on the year. He's been very, actually very efficient um, as a receiver as well. And um, he has a nice floor there. We obviously want to see him get more work, but it seems like they're slowly going to start integrating him in. So as the season progresses, he's someone that I'm going to continue to buy. Just just like Mike mentioned with when it comes to somebody with um, like a J.K. Dobbins, we know these rookies really it's the second half of the season when they really start to pop. And he was a great prospect coming in. Um, he's seen um, four at least four targets in three of his games so far. And um, the moment that he really starts getting some rushing work in, that's when we should be really excited about him. Mike, do you yeah, have anything one with thing expected to add, points? Okay. Yeah, 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 I do want to add that Swift led the Lions backfield in expected points last week, coming off a week where he received one touch. And he's the only, I mean, he's been the Lions' most efficient running back on the ground, according to expected points per opportunity. And then if we take his receiving points, both Adrian Peterson and Kirion have underperformed their expected points through the receiving game, while Swift has overperformed it and is outproducing the expectation. And we're looking at this Lions team that's one in three, and they're not a very good football team. They beat the Cardinals, but other than that, they've lost every game. And at some point, Adrian Peterson can't be part of your future plans for a team that's really looking uh, towards the future. So I think that they need, they took a running back very high. Swift is a really good player, and obviously they thought so in order to make that draft pick. And I think as the year goes on, they're only going to have more and more incentive to see, can this guy be a workhorse? Is he the guy that we thought he was coming out of college? And that's when we're going to start seeing, when we get, he's already seeing four targets a game. We see that grow to five or six, and we see him getting eight to 12 carries. He's going to be a guy that you want in your lineup every week. You know, I, I I really hope you're right about that because I think there's an argument to be made that, you know, Matt Patricia is giving AP the lion's share of the work, no pun intended there. Um, Matt Patricia's coaching for his job. And if he thought DeAndre Swift provided them the best, and, and I'm, I'm not saying I agree with him, but if he thought DeAndre Swift provided the best opportunity to win, a guy coaching for his job, don't you think he would have made that change by now? I don't know if this changes week after week when they're – not happy with what Swift knows or how he's handling pass protection or what exactly it is. But if you want to be predictable and put Adrian Peterson out there and the team knows, the opposing team knows that he's not going to be used as a receiver, then you're really limiting your offense. And maybe for this week, Patricia didn't think that he would be the best person for the job. But if he continues to go one and three and be a mediocre coach, then he can possibly lose his job. And then in that case, somebody else can come in and say Swift is the best running back on this team. So not knowing what the future holds going forward, I definitely think that Swift is by far the most valuable running back in this backfield and an excellent buy low opportunity for anybody in fantasy leagues looking for somebody who's underperforming right now compared to what they will do in the future of the fantasy season. Yeah, I think it's honestly a great point. Like adding the fact that like Patricia could get fired only gives a lot, an extra like outcome for Swift to hit this year. Like we mentioned, like there's a lot of different ways in terms of just his receiving role, getting a little bit more utilized, him actually getting some rushing work, like as season naturally progresses, those are outs for him to do it. But then Patricia getting fired to where like Peterson is now like no longer the running back and now Swift potentially is the workhorse running back or at least like is getting more work than he is now. Like there's a lot of outs for Swift to get there. And I think we're just really going to start to see his ceiling as the season progresses. 
And I mean, as good as Adrian Peterson is as a 35-year-old running back or whatever it is, like we're talking about a guy that was really good in college, good in the running game, good in the passing game. Not only did he do it in college, but we've seen it through the first four games of the season. He's outproducing the other running backs. They're not good, and he's the young player. So I think that there are a lot of things aiming in Swift's direction, and it's not it's a very reasonable expectation to expect this guy to be to be seeing a much heavier workload later on. Yeah, I you know I I, I want to see him unleashed. He's clearly their second most explosive, uh, their second most explosive offensive player behind Galladay. Um, I really really hope they give him you know fifteen touches a game sometime in the second half of the season consistently. What about? A backfield where we thought was everything was locked in. Jonathan Taylor was a top three running back and Hines would get a lot of passing down work if they were behind. But here comes Jordan Wilkins to ruin the party. What the hell's going on in Indianapolis? Dalton, lay it on us. I mean, it's pretty simple. Like Jonathan Taylor is the guy we want there. And again, a common theme that we see with rookies year in, year out is we know their potential. We know how good they can be. And sometimes it just takes them a half season, a few games, like to really start to get their feet under them and to really start to see the difference between the NFL and the college game. We really we see every single year. It's the second half of the year when we really start to see these rookies turn on. So again, I'm not concerned at all. Again, Jonathan Taylor has been outperforming the rest of the running backs in this game, in both the rushing game. Um, He's been more efficient in the receiving game as well. So again, those opportunities will continue to come. The fact that in his second game, he was getting workhorse touches and he's still getting 17, 18, 20 to 25 touches a game. Like that's what we want to see. And his role is going to continue to grow as he's progresses. He's a talented, extremely, extremely exciting prospect. I'm not worried in the slightest about Jonathan Taylor. And I think like the fact that he hasn't performed to what we expect him to, what we think he's capable of, like actually gives us an opportunity for a buy low window right now to go ahead and buy Jonathan Taylor because we think he can be a top five running back in the rest of the year. And the fact is he hasn't performed as that for the past couple of weeks since he's gotten the job to himself. Mike, what do, what do the expected points tell us about the well, the Colts' backfield usage in week four, especially with a guy like Jordan Wilkins kind of crashing the party. Yeah, Jordan Wilkins got involved, which is a little bit annoying to see. And the expected points for Jonathan Taylor were only 11.2 compared to 10.1 for Hines and 6.3 for Wilkins. All of them underperformed compared to expectation. But I'm with Dalton. I, I don't know how many more opportunities we're going to have where Jonathan Taylor underproduces. Maybe it will be a few more weeks. But if his owner is getting a little bit antsy, this is your opportunity to get in on a legendary prospect who may be going through some growing pains. But it's clear that with Paris Campbell out, T.Y. Hilton underperforming, Philip Rivers loves to target running backs. And maybe that hasn't benefited Taylor quite yet after week one. But there is a lot of opportunity opportunity in his future and not a lot of players have the same kind of favorable opportunity combined with legendary talent to the point where if Jonathan Taylor took over during the second half of the season and was a top five running back none of us would be surprised and people who are really in the fantasy community wouldn't be surprised so if somebody's dangling him and isn't aware of the power that Jonathan Taylor holds then go get him would you trade Joe Mixon for him right now 
I think you can make a good argument for it. Um, I think that Mixon after this past week is is very, very interesting because the the problem with Mixon has always been that Geo comes in and steals all these targets, right? And last week we saw Mixon get six targets compared to Geo zero. So if last week is any indication, then Mixon may be a top six, seven running back the rest of the way. And I don't know that I'd like to put all my chips on that bet. But maybe Zach Taylor has realized something, and going forward, they realize that, look, we have this really talented running back. We need to get him in space through the passing game, and it worked really well for them. So it's not something that they should be going away from. So if you're optimistic about Mixon, no problem. But if you were worried about Mixon, and now you'd like to take this one game where he's received these targets and get out and take this younger player who should be getting better as the season goes on, I definitely don't think that it's a bad bet to make. So I would be completely comfortable with trading Mixon for Jonathan Taylor, where that may be not the most popular. Maybe maybe, maybe you can get him for slightly less price. But, you know, before last week, Mixon was a persona non grata in many fantasy circles. But it was nice to see Zach Taylor finally realize some of the potential that Mixon showed at Oklahoma and where he was a really great pass catcher. What about another backfield where we thought the dust had settled Daryl Henderson's job and Malcolm Brown's going to spell him, yet we have a little bit of uh, regression here. You know, what did what do expected points tell us about what happened with the Rams in week four? This was a, a smash spot for our friend Daryl Henderson. And here we go, Malcolm Brown stealing the show again. Look, I think all of us are very upset about this, so it's kind of a topic that's it's an, it's an emotional subject. You might have to you might have to bear with us, listeners. Yeah, this. so. So Malcolm Brown's expected points in week four were 13. He underperformed that. And Daryl Henderson underperformed his 6.6 expected points. I read a quote from Sean McVay kind of explaining the situation. He wasn't happy with how their offense ran. And he was unhappy with the lack of opportunities that their offense had. And I think that it kind of got away with away from him in the sense that they didn't have as many plays. They felt like they needed to pass the ball. They're more comfortable with Malcolm Brown in the game when they're passing the ball. And that led to Daryl Henderson not getting the opportunity that we would have liked to see. Going forward, it's a little concerning that the report today was Cam Akers is going to come back. And once again, we have a situation where Nobody really knows what's going to happen. It's easy to think that Daryl Henderson is the best rusher on the ground out of this group. Malcolm Brown seems to be the preferred pass down back. And then Cam Akers, you can easily make the argument, is the most talented out of the bunch and has the best um, three down back uh, profile. So it's a very difficult situation. And if you can acquire, because of this ambiguity, if you can acquire a Cam Akers for cheap, I have seen him dropped in some leagues, then it would be really nice to get a guy who is being drafted in the fourth, fifth round now at a really cheap price tag just to see what's going to happen because there's so much uncertainty that we don't know. Do, wh- why don't we do this? Let's, for the rest of the season, you know, for a typical Apex Fantasy League player, PPR 12 team, uh, three running back, three wide receivers and a flex, two running backs, rank the three rookie wide receiver or rookie running backs in that range acres Dobbins and Swift who do you like and in what order do you like those guys rest of the way for redraft purposes I'm gonna go Swift Dobbins Acres. Okay. Um, wow. I, I, wow. I think that Swift is going to take over this backfield and I think that I mean if you're the GM 
And you say, you, we spent our second round pick on Swift, and now we pick up Adrian Peterson as a free agent. He's not overperforming expectation. He's not that good. The defense knows what's going on. I mean, the Redskins lost Darius Geis and cut Adrian Peterson. And now he's taking away opportunities from your second round draft pick, who's outperforming. I, I mean, yeah, he dropped a potential game-winning touchdown in week one. All right. Aside from that, the guy has been really, really good. And there's no evidence from our past to suggest, from his past, to suggest that he's not good. So I think Swift, it's a matter of time until he becomes, I don't know about a workhorse because Matt Patricia is so finicky when it comes to running backs, but I think he gets the lion's share at some point. Dobbins, I think it may take a little bit longer, but he's a very talented player on an offense that should score a lot. My concern with Dobbins is his profile is that he's a very good pass catcher. And they don't throw to running backs a whole lot. They've tried to more because of Dobbins, but you get a running quarterback and they don't throw to running backs all that much. So we're looking at Swift who's getting four targets per game. And now we're comparing him with Dobbins who we can't assume four targets per game. And we can't even really assume that he's going to receive more carries because while Swift has Adrian Peterson, there's the same situation with Gus. I, I mean, I think it's already honestly better competition with Gus the bus and Ingram, who I think at this point are probably better players than Adrian Peterson, who are stealing opportunities from him. So I'm going to put those two ahead. Akers, I think, He's a great buy low, and I think there's a lot of opportunity, but he's dealing with who I consider to be the most talented player as competition in his backfield with Daryl Henderson. And Malcolm Brown, I think that unless something changes, obviously Akers is young. They they want him in there on third down. And I saw him make a really nice catch in the game last week, and they probably they must trust him with pass blocking. So if we're taking out third downs and we're making the assumption that Malcolm Brown is going to be the guy on third downs, then how is Akers going to outscore Swift, who is on the field every third down and getting targeted regularly. Uh, Dalton, you took issue with Mike's initial rankings there. Do you have a different opinion? I didn't take any issue. I was just a little surprised um, because my rankings would actually be the complete opposite of his. I would actually have Akers number one. And my wow. reasoning my reasoning for that is um, we the fact that Daryl Henderson – we saw him have two really good games. And the fact that he didn't fully take over the backfield shows that there's opportunity there available. Now, if we look at the first game, Cam Akers was getting the majority of the touches there, obviously underperformed. And then what happened in the second game, after Cam Akers had underperformed in the first game and it was clear that Malcolm Brown played better than them in week one, what did they do on that first drive? It was all Cam Akers and then Cam Akers went out. So they clearly have trust in Cam Akers already. They're holding him out as precautionary. And he has this three-down role that he's going to be able to grow into. And what I think is a very good offense. Look, Cam Akers can do things that – or Malcolm Brown can do things that Daryl Henderson can't necessarily in pass protection, which gives him that leg up. Cam Akers is a phenomenal pass protector, which will allow him to earn some roles in that third-down role. I think that Cam Akers is an extremely talented back in this offense, and the fact that there's so much ambiguity actually benefits Akers in his opportunity to take it over quicker than a guy like Swift or quicker than a guy like Dobbins. And I think that that's the argument for Akers is we can see Akers take over this backfield by week eight, where I think as Swift, like you can make an argument for him like actually genuinely taking it over. But again, there's a lot of hurdles there when it comes to Peterson, Patricia, and his full opportunity there. And for Dobbins, Ingram and Edwards are there. So even if there's even if there's an injury to an Edwards or an Ingram, like he still has to battle with that. And I think it could take him longer, whereas I think it's Akers actually has a clear role sooner. I 
I loved hearing both sides of that. You know, maybe uh, maybe if your record's good and you don't need help initially in the next in the coming weeks, maybe you want to take a stab at a guy like Swift. Maybe if you need more immediate help, I, I do think you made a good point about Acres and how much work they gave him uh, when he was healthy. So, and also let's not forget the Rams run at like sneakily one of the highest clips in the NFL, something we didn't necessarily expect coming into the year. So, you know, we could have an opportunity where two guys in, in a McVay led offense are able to be relevant. What are we making on a short week of the Tampa Bay backfield? Ronald Jones, Mike expected points. how do he do? Ronald Jones, I mean, he underperformed his expectation, but he had 24.6 expected points. And Keyshawn Vaughn may take some of those passing game opportunities away, but the Bucks love to run, and they trust Ronald Jones on the ground for sure. And early downs, he gets some of those targets. So I think anytime Fournette is out as it stands right now, Ronald Jones is a guy that you have to have in your lineup. Uh, it may not feel sexy. He It feels like he's one fumble away from being pulled off the, the field, but I don't think that's the reality. And at this point, with so many running back injuries, so many committees, uh, I think that Ronald Jones with Fournette out is just a guy that is certainly a top 20 running back. And when it comes to game script, you know, this Tampa Bay Bucks defense is way better than people thought Carlton Davis has turned into a really above average cornerback. Um, they go against the Bears, who are not going to put up a touchdown every time they touch the ball. And no O.J. Howard, who unfortunately tore his Achilles, we feel for him. Godwin is on definitely the wrong side of questionable. Probably you can only rule him out with a hamstring injury on a short week. Evans looks like he'll play. Um, it, they don't have many other options, but they give the ball to Ronald Jones. Fournette obviously not looking good. Uh, what about Keyshawn Vaughn, a quick hitter on him? Do we like him as a deep league flex? How is, do you think he could be a factor in this offense going forward? Or is it just until Fournette comes back? I think there's too many people, too many mouths to feed when it comes to him having long-term value, unless he really pops on this Thursday. But it looks very likely that Fournette is going to be out on Thursday night's game. And obviously, as you mentioned, these, this Bucks team is really banged up. And... Ronald Jones hasn't done a great job of forcing the Bucks coaching staff to have him on the field for third down. So I definitely think that there's kind of a sneaky start ability to Keyshawn Vaughn. If you're really desperate for a running back, let's say you have guys on by, maybe you have Aaron Jones, maybe you're forced to pick up somebody off the waiver wire in a deep league. Keyshawn Vaughn has some sneaky, sneaky flex potential or running back two potential where you can get him in. And I think that he'll get a handful of carries. He'll get a handful of targets and maybe he, looks good, and maybe he gets even more opportunities than we're expecting. So, uh, yeah. Dalton, you got something to say on Mr. Vaughn? Absolutely. I think that we need to definitely be rostering uh, Keyshawn Vaughn in leagues. I know the stat line doesn't look extremely promising, but when LeSean McQuinn went out, and it looks like he could be out for, you know, at least a little bit of time, and Fournette's obviously questionable. Like, he's someone I want to get in ahead of that Thursday night game and potentially does even have a better game. And the main reason is because they were in a close game, right? And in the fourth quarter, Keyshawn Vaughn, that's when he really got all of his work, was when they were very close in the fourth quarter. So they obviously trusted him enough to play him when the game was on the line, and they utilized him as a receiver a little bit. He even caught a touchdown. So um, those are promising signs to me. Look, we liked him as a product. He's a good athlete. Actually, his closest comparable player on player profile is Dalvin Cook. 
He was very good at a young age in college, and he's a good athlete. He has third-round draft capital. There's a lot of things to like about his profile, and the main reason that we didn't like him was because Fournette and Ronald Jones were ahead of him, but now there's actually opportunity there, and he's looked so look good in very limited opportunity, and they utilized him in that role there. Like That's enough for me to be like, hey, I am okay stashing him there, and I want to see more. Thursday night, let's see what else he has, and if he continues to play well, he's someone I'm willing to have, but again, like if his roles diminish, they don't utilize him much, and then it looks like Fournette's coming back, cool, I'm fine dropping him. But he's someone actually I really want on my benches right now and just hope and hope of like potentially more opportunity for him um, in the coming weeks. So are you rostering? This is a good segue to our next part. Are, are you rostering him over a guy like Jeffrey Wilson? Um, I, The question for Jeff Wilson remains, is Monster going to play this week? They're going against Miami, and I think both of these guys, right, we're expecting Fournette to come back soon, we're expecting Monster to come back soon, so we're looking at starting them this week. And it looks like for sure Fournette is out, we're, we're not sure about Monster's status, and the 49ers... In a situation last week where they were playing a close game the whole time, obviously they didn't want to take Jarek McKinnon off the field. But when they enter a situation where they're up, like they presumably should be this week against the Dolphins, they're happy to put Wilson in and you can potentially get um, maybe top 30 running back production from him. So I, I think both of them are in the same tier. But at least with Vaughn, it seems we'll be able to know that Fournette is out when I don't know what's mustard status is going to be. Yeah, that's a good point. And, uh, you know, with Wilson, it's funny, his variance is anywhere from like, it's either zero, three points, 10 points, or like 20 points, because we're just banking on uh, short touchdowns there. Now, you know, we, we took our beatings early on in this podcast with Daryl Henderson and Jonathan Taylor, very hard for us. Now, how about a couple victory laps? Speaking of that 49ers backfield, we told you guys McKinnon was a guy to draft in the late rounds. Mike, just, I mean, is it possible we're actually underrating his role right now and for the rest of the year? Yeah, I don't think people realize that. I mean, we talk a lot about the Alvin Kamara role. And McKinnon obviously had the backfield to himself last week, right? And that helps. But he's being targeted so frequently, and he's getting those goal line carries. And actually, if you look at expected points, this has nothing to do with McKinnon's efficiency, as we've already said. Based on his touches, where you'd expect him to finish out of running backs. Number one was Joe Mixon last week. Number two was Ronald Jones. Three was Mike Davis. Four was Ezekiel Elliott. And five was Jarek McKinnon. So McKinnon is seeing... 10.1 expected points on the ground, which he outperformed, and then 11.6 through the air. Very few running backs see 10 expected points on the ground and through the air. So when he's so ingrained where, I mean, I don't know who watched the game last week, but if you looked at it, Kittle was obviously their number one option, but it seemed when they weren't going to Kittle, it was going to McKinnon. And I think that's a good point in that, you know, like they had Debo Samuel on the field, they had Kittle on the field. And still, McKinnon got double-digit expected points through the air and the ground. I think that's really encouraging. Dalton, any thoughts on this backfield? Absolutely. I mean, if we look just over the past two weeks, Jared McKinnon is currently ninth overall in expected points. Um, Basically along the likes of guys like Dalvin Cook, Clyde Hilaire, Chris Carson, Melvin Gordon, like those are the guys that he's around. And I don't think it's crazy for him as long as Mostert's out that um, he's a low-end RB1. Even if we look at his um, receiving expected points over the past two weeks, he's currently sixth amongst all running backs. 
He's getting the valuable receiving work that we want to see in the running backs. He's in an efficient offense right now. And out of all running backs last week, he saw the most percentage of snaps of the running back touches um, or running backs uh, on his team. So it's clear that he's the guy that they want to utilize there. Um, 12 targets over the last two weeks. He's getting 14 touches. Like, look, 18 to 22 touches is what we're looking at here for him in a great offense. Um, even with Kittle back, the fact that he's able to do that, like this is gonna, this is a guy that you absolutely want want to start, I and mean, I think he's just being undervalued right now. People don't understand how how locked in his role is right now with Mostert out. Totally, and I think one one more thing is when you talk about with Mostert out, but I almost see this as like a Melvin Gordon, Austin Eckler situation where even when Mostert returns, when you're down, McKinnon's gonna be on the field when they have. Mostert was never a volume receiver. Exactly. And they're clearly showing that not only is McKinnon like valued as a receiver, but they want to incorporate him in the game plan and get him the ball in space. And we saw a lot of it last week. And I don't think it's going to stop. And I don't think this 49er team is going to blow out people like they did last year. So maybe with Mostert coming back, some of his owners are willing to sell him. But this is a guy that's going to get valuable touches, play when his team's down, and is maybe like an Austin Eckler light. They lost even more on the defensive end. Kawan Williams is probably going to go on short-term IR. He was their uh, second cornerback. Of course, Richard Sherman is there right now. They lost their guy. They signed up the street, Ezekiel Elliott, to a torn biceps. Already down Bosa and Tom, uh, Solomon Thomas traded away um, their stud defensive one of their stud defensive linemen to Indianapolis. Uh, it's just like this is not going to be a team that's going to have uh, – 35 to 7 leads anymore so yeah I'm, I'm i'm all aboard the mckinnon train another guy we're going to take a little victory lap on here antonio gibson i mean we give coaches a lot of crap and maybe and you know what i'm we don't know more about football than they do but you got to give it to the redskins you know who do they need to feed mclaurin and gibson and they they took out barber they gave mclaurin all that he could handle Good for you, Washington. Ron Rivera, we hope you're doing well in your battle with cancer, but just some quick props to Antonio Gibson over there. Yeah, Gibson is a really special player, and I don't know if you've watched any of the Redskins games, but it's fairly apparent when you watch. If you look at advanced metrics, he, prior to this week where he obviously broke out, was averaging more forced missed tackles than any other running back on rush plays. He's making guys miss. He's a natural receiver. He almost reminds me of like a David Johnson where he's this agile, good, big running back who almost looks even better as a wide receiver. And we've been waiting for the Redskins to incorporate him in that receiving role. And it looks like they've finally done it and they were rewarded for it. I mean, the guy is special and I don't think it's a stretch to call somebody like Antonio Gibson a league winner he's seeing the expect he was top 10 in expected points at a running backs this week uh and maybe I mean if this rule continues we're kind of looking at a low-end running back one high-end running back two based on his talent and his opportunity and this was against one of the best defenses in the league like this was not against the Seahawks or the Texans or even a team like the Vikings like this was against the Ravens so, yeah, you know, I, I think it's only getting better for Gibson. And if you drafted him, took our advice, took him in the seventh round, you know, c- congrats. Like, it's, it's looking really good. He's looking like a guy who, if you drafted him along with maybe McCaffrey, Saquon, he, you know, he could help really mitigate the loss of that stud running back that you have. So, 
Um, any thoughts on Gibson there, Dalton? Absolutely. Um, I'm really excited about Gibson. He reminds me a lot of like Miles Sanders and just like the way he plays, like the way they are looking to like utilize him. He's a very good athlete. He's a little bit raw at times running between the tackles, but at the same time, like when you're, when you're being utilized as a receiver, that doesn't really matter much. You get a little bit of room and you can make things happen as an athlete that a lot of other running backs can't happen that can't, can't make happen. So um, there's a lot of exciting things, just like seeing him play just like from an eye perspective, but then also the stats are just fully backing up. Like his, his yards per out run are amongst the tops of running backs is, um, he's just extremely efficient as a receiver um, and as a runner as well. He's, he's just, I mean, you got to be just fired up about Gibson right now. We, we, we are uh, all on the Gibson hype train. Why don't we pivot to some pass catching situations, take a look at some expected points there. I want to start with the Cardinals and my concern with the Cardinals is I'm in a two quarterback league with some friends of mine from high school, shout out to the flex fantasy football league. Um, I had Kyler Murray as a keeper this year. And this is where this is a strange league where quarterbacks score a lot of points. I traded him during the giraffe for a pick that became Mike Evans, uh, you know, I, I wasn't – my thinking was exactly what's happening now. They have gone back to the horizontal rate. I think at one point uh, Hopkins had four catches for nine yards or four catches for seven yards. I'm sorry. Mike, are we seeing an aberration here in Arizona? Will the real Arizona Cardinals please stand up? Who uh, – what should we expect from them going forward and what do the expected points from week four tell us there about Hopkins and maybe even someone like Christian Kirk? Yeah, so Hopkins was kind of at a disappointing 14.3 expected points. He underperformed that. Um, Christian Kirk was at 9.4. Andy Isabella was at 4.6. And Larry Fitzgerald was at 4.4. It's encouraging to see Larry Fitzgerald last, but I still think he's probably too incorporated in the offense when you have these explosive playmakers around Hopkins with Christian Kirk and Andy Isabella, who you need to get the ball to. But look, after four weeks, we're still not really sure what the Cardinals are. They look so good at times. And then they face a team like Carolina and they can't move the ball. And it becomes difficult to know what exactly we should do. But I think one thing that's always valuable for me is when somebody like Christian Kirk is ranked so highly, looked so good as a prospect, comp similarly to somebody like Stefan Diggs, he looked good as a rookie. He had the injury last year, but we know that Kirk is, yeah, we know that Kirk is a very interesting player. And now he's one of those guys that's surprisingly ending up on the waiver wire. And if this Cardinal offense gets going, it's not always going to be able to be Hopkins. He's going to be doubled and teams are going to take him away. And Christian Kirk, as we can see from this last game's expected points, they still value him as the number two receiver. And I think the Christian Kirk explosion is coming at some point. I don't know whether it's going to be able to be reliable, but look, Christian Kirk was being selected in the seventh, eighth, maybe ninth round at the latest in some fantasy leagues. And now you have a chance due to his injury to get him at a really cheap price tag. And I think that you'd be foolish when so many players who went in front of him were injured or not looking good, too old, whatever. Here's a guy who's capable. He's a capable breakout player. He's a good prospect. Yeah, we haven't seen what we like through a few weeks, but the Cardinals haven't performed like they would like to last week, and he missed the game before. And you may be able to have an investment where you pick this guy up off the free agent wire, and he may eventually become an every week wide receiver three. 
And he he did lead their team in yards per catch last week. I mean, this is a they had 31 pass attempts and 133 passing yards. Just you know that horizontal raid might be uh, on the way back. Dan Arnold led their team in yards per catch under 10, but still at 9.8. Are you staying the course, Dalton, with Christian Kirk? Guys, I I have some takes here, and I oh, I'm not gonna go. like I'm not gonna like myself for this, but I think <laughs> that this Cardinals offense is overrated. I genuinely do. Um, if we look at what Kyler Murray has done in his first four games, he's actually been the fourth least efficient um, quarterback in all the NFL. Fourth is, least is this, efficient quarterback. This is this is in terms of passing, I assume. Yeah, so uh, adjusted okay. yards per attempt, which um, okay. encompasses um, passing yards, touchdowns, interceptions, basically how yards efficient per, your offense Yards per is attempt, in. right, yeah. Exactly, so like how efficient your offense is. You want quarterbacks who are efficient in the offense because they lead more for more opportunities there that's 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 like a full yard per attempt less than what he was doing last year as a rookie and that's with Hopkins on the team so like I'm genuinely concerned about this team there is some positive outlooks potentially we're looking at the Jets coming up we're looking at Dallas coming up we're looking at Seattle coming up Jets obviously one of the worst teams if there's a get right game it's that if we're looking for a high passing attack against Dallas and Seattle those look like two games in which you're gonna have to throw the ball and get right so Again, I'm going to kind of see, wait and see how it is there. I'm on board with adding Christian Kirk and seeing how it plays out here because I do think Christian Kirk is a player is good and he could actually potentially help turn this offense around. But I'm genuinely worried about Kyler Murray um, as a passer and how it's and how good this offense can be to actually consistently support somebody like Kirk on a week to week basis, especially when they're targeting Hopkins like 35% of the time. Like for me, like it just it's it's something that I want to wait and see, and I'm more than happy to add him on my teams and hold him and see what happens here. But it's it's at least a little concerning for me in the future. Mike, this this podcast might be Dalton's flu game. I mean, he's bringing the fire with a what sounds like a relatively debilitating cold. While while we have you hopped up on Dayquil here, Dalton, can you give us a little <laughs> pep talk for DJ Moore and Marquise Brown owners? Oh yeah, if you got DJ Moore, look, you are buying DJ Moore right now. He's currently top fifteen in some very key uh, metrics. We're talking about air yards. We're talking about expected points. We're talking about targets. We're talking about receiving yards. Look. On its face, DJ Moore has been getting all these positive indicators that we are looking for. Look, when we're when we're trying to, you know, see what is important for future success, it's those main things that we're looking for in terms of opportunity. DJ Moore necessarily hasn't gotten that in terms of fantasy scoring. He's currently 30th in fantasy scoring despite being top 15 in all major metrics. So again, like there is positive regression coming. And I get that people are concerned about Robbie Anderson being there. And yes, Robbie Anderson has been great. And it's likely that Robbie Anderson is going to continue to be great. But that shouldn't take away from the fact that DJ Moore is still getting the volume there just as much as Robbie Anderson. He's been just as efficient as he's been his entire career. Like, I'm not concerned about DJ Moore in the slightest. Like, he may not be this, you know, potential elite wide receiver one that we saw from him. But there's no reason why he can't be. He st- you still can't finish the top 12 wide receiver and be a low-end wide receiver one for your team. Like, I don't see why it's out of the question for him. Uh, I think that the, the concerning with DJ Moore is that the routes that, you know, his after-the-catch ability is being – we thought Robbie Anderson would be seeing uh, the higher A dot, those uh, um, while DJ Moore would be seeing those short crossers and slants, and it seems like Anderson's getting those touches. Now – I, I, I do agree with you about DJ Moore as a good buy low. You know, if you look at, here's how he started last year. Um, 
7 for 76, no touchdowns. 9 for 89, no touchdowns. 1 for 52, that catches a touchdown. And 3 for 44, no touchdowns. Uh, He had 20 receptions through four games last year. I think he's around 18 so far this year. And honestly, I think he has more yards this year than he had through four games last year. If not, it's really close. The only thing missing is that one touchdown. Uh, I'm not super worried about I, I think he's a solid wide right now I think we can say he's a solid wide receiver too go and I think you can expect that going forward um Mike what are the odds that Robbie Anderson outscores DJ more the rest of the year you think um the rest of the year so both of them starting rest of the year right the, now. The, that okay let, let's say this do you do you think that Robbie Anderson will finish with more PPR points than DJ more at the end of the year uh, I mean, obviously, Robbie Anderson had a good head start. I'm still going with DJ Moore, probably because I'm a homer. Um, but DJ, I just think, is more talented. And if Robbie Anderson is going to continue to do this, the defense is going to give him more attention at some point. And I think that DJ is still commanding maybe more attention. They're not exactly using him right. I think that stuff's going to be cleared up. And if you look at their expected points, even with this big difference that we're all considering, DJ has underperformed his 51.8 expected points. Robbie Anderson is at 56.4. So I think where they were drafted and our expectations for them um, show a much bigger difference. Robbie Anderson has also outperformed his expected points by 17.4. So I, I think that, I mean, DJ has been an efficient, good player his entire career. And I don't think that when it's all said and done, he'll be underperforming his expectation. I think it will flip around and I'm still optimistic, but there are some concerning signs uh, for what he's done so far, especially when it comes to whether he's going to outscore Robbie Anderson. But yeah, I would still take the DJ Moore side. Yeah, we're, we're we're hanging tight on him. What about Marquise Brown? Is the big day coming? Yeah, I think it will. Um, he, the problem is he's a very high volume, high volatility target. Where one of these plays where he gets wide open one on one, they they need to land. And I remember it was Curtis Samuel last year that everybody was waiting every game. And I don't know when Lamar Jackson's going to hit him on one of these, but one of those 120-yard, two-touchdown games is coming. That's Marquise's Brown specialty. So I think at some point we're going to get it. I don't know exactly when, and I don't think that selling low on him is a solution during a time like this. And when it comes to selling players, are we selling Odell back? I mean, we had a good heads or tails early in this uh, preseason about uh, – well, preseason before the season. Obviously, we had no preseason this year. About Odell Beckham – you know, I think he's top five. I think he's wide receiver four or five in scoring right now. Uh, is he a hold for you, Mike? Or are you seeing what you can fetch for him on the market? I think there's some good reason to see what you can fetch for him. In terms of expected points, guys are just seeing way more. Um, the number one in the league so far is Amari Cooper at 86.2 expected points. Odell is down at 50.7. And last week he saw 16... Um, 0.1 expected points, and he outscored that by 20-something points. So he's playing at a very high level, and I think Odell really is one of the best wide receivers in the league, but I don't think they're using him like that. And his highest expected points of the season was last week. Before that, his highest was 14.5, and we've seen games where he's below 10. So the concern is I don't see that consistent um, 
involvement for Diggs week after week like we'd like to see for an alpha wide receiver like maybe a Stephon Diggs is seen this season. And we saw Diggs get held back by a similar offensive system where they wanted to run Dalvin Cook. This year, maybe Chubb's injury helps him. If you're going to be in favor of holding Odell, I think that that argument is what holds the most water, is you think that now that Chubb is getting injured, maybe they go a little bit more pass-heavy. Maybe they use Landry and Odell a little bit more, and I think that that theory is very reasonable. But so far, I think he's falling into the same trap that Diggs has, where you have this immensely talented receiver who's able to beat anybody, but without the volume, you can't do that. And we saw Diggs dominate through this play action on the small volume, like uh, Odell did last week, but it's hard to be consistent without receiving consistent volume. And, you know, I saw, I, th- I think it was Pat Thorne. It was Pat Thorman or Rich Rebar who pointed out that Odell Beckham is last in pa- uh, Odell Beckham. Baker Mayfield is last in passing yards per drive. Um, their defense is pretty good. They've got an explosive running game. Stefanski did this last year in Minnesota, as you pointed out. And most importantly, if you're going to be seeing these low volume of targets and you want them to pay off, you have to be in Russell Wilson, a DK Metcalf like connection. And that's just not Baker Mayfield. Like, it, so I, I'm with you in that in terms of volume, he's outperformed so much. Um, and that Baker Mayfield in this, in the, in, is just not going to be a guy who can support a stud wide receiver one on such limited volume. Any thoughts, Dalton? Yeah, I mean, when we look at Odell Beckham's like fantasy point output, at least from like last week, we can be like pretty impressed by it. But when we look at some of the individual plays that happened and what led to that, um, he had a, a very long rushing touchdown, um, a 50-yard touchdown to be exact. And then he had a 37-yard reception touchdown from Jarvis Landry as quarterback. So when it comes from... That was a dime. Like, oh, it was, it was honestly a beautiful pass. And then, I mean... Man, if Jarvis Landry doesn't make it as a wide receiver later in his career, I mean, sign him up for quarterback. I mean, that was that was impressive. But um, when we're looking at like what we can actually bank on for future output, we want to see things that you know the connection between Baker Mayfield and Odell Beckham, which you guys touched on a little bit earlier. And we just aren't seeing the consistent targets. And in this offense, um, I think there's actually potential for it to maybe open up a little bit with Nick Chubb gone. You know, Cream Hunt's more of a pass-catching weapon, so they may actually shift their offense a little bit more to that. Um, but again, it is it is still concerning um, that, you know, through four games, um, him and Baker Mayfield really haven't been on the same page, and you'd like to see that in their second year in the offense. So I'm definitely on board with the aspect of selling um, someone even as talented as Odell Beckham just because I'd, I'd much rather get some other wide receivers in his range than Odell you Beckham. Know, I remember last year after Greg Williams called him out saying he's just another receiver. We're not worried. He went like six for 146 in a touchdown against the Jets. And then people after that were like, man, I should have sold him then. Now might be your time this year, ladies and gentlemen, to sell him after such a good game like you didn't last year. So buyer beware on that. Uh, One last pass catcher before we get to waivers. Mike, just how good has Justin Jefferson been? And is it sustainable? Yeah, I don't think people realize that Justin Jefferson has just been magnificent. He didn't get the playing time early, but when you look at people outperforming expectation, number one is DK Metcalf. He has 45.4 expected fantasy points, and he has outperformed that by 28.9. Tied for second with Tyreek Hill is Justin Jefferson with 
31.7 expected fantasy points, and he has outperformed that by 25.1. So this is a guy that's just been dominant whenever they've thrown the ball to him and there aren't a lot of other weapons on that team and in the past when we talked about Diggs's struggles I think there were a lot of concerns about the Vikings running the ball ball control offense playing good defense I don't think they can be that team anymore their defensive unit has been one of the worst in the league and they've been behind they have to throw and obviously teams are going to try and stop feeling and that opens up the field for Justin Jefferson so This week against the Seahawks, he's a reasonable wide receiver to play. I think that you can make a good argument that he's a top 20 wide receiver in a game that they're going to have to throw a lot and he's going against bad corners. And I think he's proven he's he's a really good player. Not that we didn't like him coming out of college. He checked all the boxes, but he's further confirmed that he is a special talent. Uh, Dalton, have you moved him up your dynasty ranks at all in terms of wide receivers? Absolutely. He's currently a wide receiver 16 on my rankings, which I know is pretty aggressive, but I think it honestly, I may be underselling him a little bit. Like again, we know he's been extremely efficient. And when we look at the end of the year and he continues up this efficiency, like you want to be chasing rookie year efficiency, especially from a 21 year old rookie who was an early declarer, who had great college production, who was a great athlete, had first round draft capital. Like he literally checks every single box. So I think like wide receiver 16 a lot of people may think that's aggressive i think that i may be a little bit um a little bit too hesitant to move him up for now which i i could totally see him reaching my top 12 by the end of the year if he continues up what he's doing like he, he's special and he's a guy who you know if you're starting him in your flex during bye weeks might you know you might actually have a big advantage at that spot you could argue he's a wide receiver too right now um Why don't we pivot to uh, touch on a couple of the big injuries from week four, especially at the running back position. You know, we saw Nick Chubb go down. That sucks. You know, he had that really bad, really ugly PCL injury in college, came back as top of the second round pick with the Browns. You you wouldn't get an argument from me if you said he was the best peer on the NFL. He's out now. We saw, we thought Kareem Hunt would get 90% of the work or whatever, but it turns out a couple other names popped up there. Mike, how are you treating this Browns backfield on the waiver wire, especially considering their run heavy offense? Is someone else going to be relevant besides uh, Kareem Hunt? I'm not 100% sure that we can chalk it up to the Browns wanting to involve other backs because we know going into the week Hunt wasn't fully healthy and it may have something to do with that but they involved DeErnest Johnson who saw six expected fantasy points and outperformed that turning into 9.5 fantasy points he's not exactly a great prospect but he looked really good when he was on the field he the the concerning part is he saw about the same amount of work as Hilliard And it's hard to reasonably think that one of them is going to have a reliable role without the other one being involved. It's really Kareem Hunt's backfield now. I guess if you're going to take a chance on one of the other guys, you probably go Johnson just because of his week two performance. But I'm not sure that we can confirm that he has pulled away ahead of Hilliard based on the touches. Would you rather rather have someone like Justin Jackson, who now Eckler... Uh, another guy who a great story, but you know, severe hamstring injury, probably out two months, if not more. Uh, are you prioritizing Justin Jackson over both of those guys? Uh, do you think it's going to be Josh Kelly as the one A, or do you think Justin Jackson has a chance to be the leader of that backfield? And again, how do you contextualize that with the Browns backfield? 
So I certainly like Justin Jefferson. I mean, Justin Jefferson. <laughs> of course I like Justin Jefferson, <laughs> but I like Justin Jackson more than I like the other Browns running backs. I think that he has a unique situation where if Joshua Kelly were to get injured, he would have the backfield to his own. Uh, he's a very talented guy. And I also think that he's going to play the pass down work on a team that's not very good. Joshua Kelly will be involved, but I don't think that he's seeing uh, more than, I don't know, 65, 70% of the touches at the most. It seemed like him, Kelly and Jackson were splitting pretty close to one another. And Jackson brings some talent to the field as well. So I think that if there were a situation where Hunt were to get injured, we would see Hilliard and Johnson split. But if we were to see a situation where Kelly got injured, we would see Justin Jackson become a workhorse. And in addition to that, Eckler seems to be out longer, at least from what we've seen reported, we should expect Eckler to be out longer than Chubb. So he has more time to have some fantasy relevance and potentially see an injury to the the people that he's competing with. I love the Justin Jackson love. I freaking love it, man. That's my freaking dog, dude. I'm so excited to see (laughs) Justin Jackson back on the field, man. Like, dude, it has been so tough. Like, being a Justin Jackson truth over the past few years, and every single time he does something good, he gets hurt. But now what? He's healthy, he has opportunity, and he's ready to go, man. There's no reason why him and Kelly can be this awesome duo. And I love the, the take that you know Mike said about what happens when Kelly goes down. Justin Jackson is good enough to take this all by himself. He's a phenomenal running back, and as a prospect, he's someone that you know is a little bit underweight, but as a production standpoint... He was phenomenal as a true freshman. He was balling out, um, catching 20 passes and rushing for over 1,200 yards. And he's also a phenomenal athlete as well. He's one of the most agile athletes out there. So um, that's what we want to see in a running back, especially someone who can catch the ball as well as him. And we want to be chasing someone who can do that. So absolutely Justin Jackson over these Browns running backs. And um, there's no reason why Justin Jackson can't be someone that you're flexing or even throwing in his RB2s, getting you 10 to 12 points a week in that offense. Also, look, he started he started a game not long ago. Um, I think it may have been like two years ago, actually. But I think that Gordon when Melvin Gordon was hurt out. late in the season. Yeah, it was like a Thursday night game and it was against the Chiefs and Keenan Allen ended up getting injured early and it was kind of Mike Williams's breakout game. But I believe Jackson had something like 18 carries and six targets and looked really good. So he is that same player. And I definitely think that Dalton's excitement reached all sorts of highs, but it's warranted for a player like Jackson. I mean, if they give Justin Jackson whatever medication Dalton's been taking the past uh, six hours, <laughs> I think he's, I think he could be even better than Alvin Kamara. So uh, yeah, Justin Jackson, a guy that definitely is a guy you want to target on your waivers. What about some pass catchers? Looks like, uh, you know, maybe there's some life a little bit in Chicago. Foles didn't look great, but Anthony Miller, we liked. He seems to, you know, he needs to stop flirting with Matt Nagy's wife or something, like, because he is in the doghouse. Darnell Mooney, Mike, what do we know about him? So, in terms of expected points for last week, it looked like Mooney has overtaken Anthony Miller. Anthony Miller was at 7.1 expected fantasy points. Mooney jumped up to 14.1. He's small, which obviously we don't like in wide receivers, but the guy's really fast. He has explosive jumping ability. He has good college production, broke out in an early age. So 
at, at this time, it's very hard to find wide receivers if you missed out on the Jeffersons and on the Higgins of the world. So if you need somebody that's desperate, I mean, the Bears pass attempts are going to be jumping with foals. It doesn't seem like David Montgomery is this special guy that they can rely on him to run 25 times a game. So there's going to be pass attempts outside of Allen Robinson. And Mooney has an interesting profile to at least make him a cheap speculative ad in fantasy leagues in case he becomes what we hoped Anthony Miller would be this year. Go ahead, Dalton. You have any thoughts on Darnell Mooney? Yeah, I, th- I think Darnell Mooney honestly has a chance to be like this year's Darius Slayton in terms of like a rookie guy who was a little underrated. But I mean, like, again, we know that efficiency is really key for guys. And he's been rather efficient in his first first few games. And then recently getting nine targets, like, I don't think it's crazy to think of him as a potential Darius Slate. And again, it, it, may, it remains to be seen whether he continues to get this opportunity and how he performs with it. But like, I don't think that's out of the range of outcomes for him as a rookie to have some type of you know uh, performance that Darius Slayton had as a rookie. Yeah, especially if A-Rob gets hurt. Um, we were on the KJ Hamler uh, bandwagon. We might, uh, we might have to get off, um, <laughs> but Noah Fant is now hurt. Uh, Hamler again the size his size like Mooney doesn't dictate that of an alpha dog wide receiver one Tim Patrick uh, you know guy was kind of laying low uh, almost a utility guy uh, for a couple years now Uh, how do you prioritize you prioritize uh, prioritize him over Darnell Mooney on the waiver wire um, I think Mooney is maybe a little bit more interesting and I think we can trust Foles a little bit more than uh, Drew Locke's backups So I think there's some concern about having reliable production from any of the Denver guys if it's not Fant, and obviously Sutton's out for the year. So I'm concerned that it's going to be a timing issue, but there's kind of this tier of wide receivers that are available in leagues like Apex, and it's the Moonies, it's the Tim Patricks, it's the Zach Pascals, and it's the Isaiah Fords. And... I'm not sure that we can expect Denver to have the pass attempts and the passing production of maybe some of those other teams. Maybe Tua gives the Dolphins some life and Isaiah Ford, who is a good college producer and is also seeing, I believe, 16 expected points um, in week four. Pascal, I think, was at 14 and a half and saw more expected points than T.Y. Hilton and has Rivers as a quarterback. So all of those guys are dart throws. I usually go towards the younger guys, which would be Mooney and Ford. We don't know exactly what they are. Maybe they have a little bit more volatility and they can have a little bit more fantasy relevance i think at this point tim patrick would be a little bit later of a breakout i don't know if zach pascal has that in his profile but all of these are dart throws and we can't be hugely um sure about any of them uh, i totally agree what if you had to prioritize them in mike's own personal rankings in those wide receivers what order are you going i think i'm going And this may be because I like Preston Williams that I'm putting Ford at three, but I'm probably going Mooney, Patrick, Pascal. I'll put Ford at three and then Pascal at four. I just don't know that we're going to see between Mo Alley-Cox throwing to the running backs, T.Y. Hilton, Pascal. I don't know when Pittman's coming back. There's multiple tight ends. So I think there's a little bit of a concern in terms of volume when it comes to the Colts. So that would probably be my order. And we saved two of the big ones for last uh let's start with baby gronk as john paulson calls him uh robert tanyan baby kittle baby 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 kittle that's what i'm thinking of um 
what can he be a tight end one the rest of the year? I mean, no Lazard, MVS is probably never going to be what we want him to be. Adams is hurt. Uh, is he what we've been waiting for since Jermichael Finley uh, retired? Yeah, I think he's fantastic. Tanyan is a really good athlete, and I've liked him for a while for that reason. There was always the question of, can he get those targets? And I think with Devontae Adams and Lazard out, he's probably the best pass catcher there if it's not Aaron Jones, who they obviously like putting Jamal Williams in. And Aaron Jones is great, but... We're not going to see that type of production consistently out of a running back. So I think Tanyan may be their number one. It doesn't seem like every time MVS gets the opportunity, he disappoints. And it seems that he's kind of that field stretcher. He's not a high volume guy. Tanyan is a freak athlete. And Lazard, I think, is really the X factor in what Tanyan's value is going to be. Look, Devontae Adams is going to come back, lead this team in targets. And I think he's the number two as long as Lazard is out. If you think that Lazard's going to be sitting out the rest of the year, then yeah, I think Tanyan can definitely be a mid to low end tight end one. I mean, not a lot of people have Aaron Rodgers as their quarterback and are second in line for targets. So I mean, there's a lot to be excited about for Tanyan. And I think that his value week to week really depends on the status of Alan Lazard. And, you know, people like Zach Ertz have a lot of work to do to catch up to a guy like Robert Tanyan. And, you know, there's no reason Tanyan can't be in the Evan Ingram tier, you know, low end tight end one with room for upside there if he can just stay on the field. I mean, there's a huge vacuum there and we're pat and he's pa- uh, catching passes from vintage Aaron Rodgers something that's just a delight to see last waiver wire guy before we get into some misses some cuts and some sells Damian Harris uh we finally got to see him what he can do you know always kind of the underdog at Alabama was never a highly touted prospect but saw well was a highly touted prospect not to the level of Josh Jacobs but force Josh Jacobs off the field a lot there. Um, Ken, you know, was not relevant his rookie year, Got was a training camp star, got hurt. Now, 17 carries, 100 yards, took Sony Michelle's role. Is this, can we trust this? It's the Patriots backfield. Look, I, I'm concerned in, in him receiving pass attempts, uh, but that's, I mean, James White is going to receive most of that role. And then there's the issue with Cam running so much and not as much pass volume. So they're not going to be throwing to running backs a whole lot. And if they are, it's probably going to be James White. And if it's not James White, it's probably going to be Burkett is the issue. But that's the bad. The good is, I think Damian Harris is the most talented of this group. He looked really good in situations that it's fairly obvious the Patriots are going to run. When you are in that Sony Michelle role, it's like either a play action or a run play. And we saw Harris go into that role. And instead of being tackled for a two or three yard gain every time, he looked explosive. He's strong. He's agile. And And I think if anybody is going to end up being like in a thousand yard rusher for the Patriots, Damian Harris is the guy. And if they want to throw, they want to keep him on the field and throw him the ball. He was a good receiver in college as well. So his profile is one that I really like. We talked about this extensively on the podcast last time. And I mentioned that I thought that he kind of had the most upside out of these guys. And it's really 
encouraging to see how the Patriots used him. Obviously, J.J. Taylor, we talked about on the last podcast after he saw a lot of usage with him and Michelle as the leading rushers. And then he was completely relegated to the bench. And I don't see them taking Damian Harris off the field for Sony Michelle, who just doesn't look like he's good at football anymore. And one other argument that I think is favorable for Harris is running quarterbacks make things better for running backs. They open up holes, they make things easier, and Damian Harris with Cam Newton doing that zone read whenever Cam returns is something that will be really interesting and may add even more efficiency to a guy who looked really good on Monday night. And I imagine you prioritize him over Justin Jackson and the Browns running backs. Oh yeah, I think that it's very reasonable if to you're, put Damian... Go on. If you're in a league that is you know like Apex Leagues with a free agent budget, are you and let's say the budget's five hundred dollars, like in Apex leagues? Are you willing to go dip into the triple digits to get him? Yeah, I think that's completely reasonable. I think that wow. out of the guys left, he's just a very talented person, and I don't like targeting players just on the volume of an injury where we don't necessarily know their talent and we're not sure how good they are. And a lot of those talented players are owned and held. Whether it's an AJ Dillon, there's just not a lot of those guys left, and people prioritize those guys. And now we have a situation where we have a talented guy who has a good situation and he's available on the free agent wire. And when you see those two criteria meet together it's a situation where i'm happy to spend um triple digits on a player wow that's very high praise for damian harris last part of the episode there have been some guys who after four weeks we can tell you know writing's not on the wall might be time to put them on your bench might be time to trade them might be time to even cut them entirely so we uh, are going to take a few underperforming guys quickly and we're gonna. I'm gonna ask Mike and Dalton if they are uh, selling, trying to trade them, uh, cutting bait entirely. That means they're droppable, or just call them a miss, put them on your bench, but not quite bad enough to drop. Why don't we start with AJ Green? I mean, <laughs> Tyler Boyd's clearly the one A there. Um, T Higgins looks great. Uh, mo- most sharp people are not on AJ Green this year. It sounds like. Uh, We've been vindicated a bit there, but what do you do with them now, Mike? I think that there's still a lot of volume to go around on this offense, and he is a miss. You can't drop him yet. I mean, this guy, in terms of, for the season, in terms of expected points, he's a top, I believe, 10 wide receiver. He's seen all the targets, but the alarming part is he's had this top 10 wide receiver workload, and he scored so few fantasy points with it that you have to wonder that even if he's in a voluminous role, whether he's able to produce. And that's my big concern for AJ, but I guess the optimistic side would be he hasn't played for a long time. He suffered a lot of injuries, and maybe he's still getting back to playing shape, and the best is yet to come. I think the Bengals have recognized that AJ isn't the guy that he used to be, and if this offense is going to be one of the better offenses in the league, it's going to run through Tyler Boyd, and it's going to run through Higgins. And I think they've wisely done that, but if there's an opportunity with maybe an injury uh maybe aj becomes more relevant and i'm not sure that aj green right now belongs on the waiver wire with the targets that he's receiving dalton you agree with mike yeah definitely miss i mean he's just been so inefficient that it looks like the writing's on the wall there but again 
the opportunity there is something that you aren't able to find on the waiver wire, regardless of how poor he's been playing so far. So you, he's someone that you just want to wait out a couple weeks, see if you can turn it around. If not, then he's someone that you want to come compete with. Yeah, I think the hope for him was maybe a young quarterback can revitalize an older wide receiver a la Larry Fitzgerald a few years ago, or even someone like Steve Smith when Cam Newton came in to Carolina his first year, but it just doesn't, it doesn't look like it's happening. It doesn't even pass the eye test. Brandon Cooks, uh, this is a guy who was awesome. Like he was posting thousand yard seasons wherever he went. Great prospect, uh, was awesome on the Rams, did nothing last year, concussion issues, steps into a target vacuum trying to uh, uh, help the loss of DeAndre Hopkins. Zero catches last week against the Vikings. Uh, Mike, is he droppable? I think you could argue it. It depends on how deep your league is. The issue is Cooks, out of the Houston wide receivers, we have Will Fuller, we have Brandon Cooks, we have Randall Cobb, and we have Kenny Stills. All of them have met or outproduced their expected points with the exception of Brandon Cooks, who's underperformed his expected points of 34.6 by 10.8. So I I don't even know if the guy receives the volume, if he'll be capable. He doesn't look like the same player, and I don't know that he's going to return to the same player. If you want to hold on to him for another week and see if things change with Bill O'Brien leaving, maybe the team gets hot, maybe he regresses to the mean. But I think there are some very real concerns that if you're in a pinch due to bye weeks, due to injuries, don't feel too much hesitance in dropping Brandon Cooks. Dalton, you cut and bait as well? Yeah, if I can get Justin Jackson for Brandon Cooks, I'm all about that. Um, the, main, the, main th- the main thing when it comes to Brandon Cooks is we look at his splits with and without Fuller. And when I say without Fuller, I'm talking about the second game, which Fuller barely played any of that game. Um, with Fuller on the field, he's had uh, 13 targets, five receptions for 43 yards. Um, that's like abysmal 3.5 yards per target. And then the game um, in which Fuller missed the game, essentially, when he was out there was uh, eight targets, five receptions, 95 yards. So it's like... While Will Fuller there, it looks like he's completely being cannibalized. He's not being utilized in the offense at all. So, I mean, if you're holding him, you're essentially banking on like Will Fuller is going to be there or the fact that Bill O'Brien's gone, they could utilize him a little more, which is like, it's fair. But at the same time, like you're not starting him. You don't feel comfortable starting him in the time being. He's not getting enough targets that renders any optimistic things or indicators for the future so i'm totally fine cutting bait and understanding that you know two three weeks down the road if he does start picking up again like i'm fine picking him back up yeah and this is a guy that was drafted you know ahead of people like deontay johnson just behind tyler boyd and marquise brown uh i i i'm with you guys i just don't it, it it just doesn't look like it's happening this year for him and he doesn't look like the same player and that, that Texans situation is just an absolute mess. Kirion Johnson, Mike, sell probably for nothing <laughs> or bench or cut entirely. I think you have to cut entirely at this point. I think the concern remains that there's Swift, who's the best all-around running back on the team, and certainly the... Lions have at least committed to the fact that he's the best receiver. Then we have Adrian Peterson, who they seemingly want to get the ball to when they're up and clock killing, and that leaves Kerryon Johnson with what exactly? And the concern is, even if Peterson were to get hurt, 
Is carry-on going to be near fantasy lineups? Is he reliable? And to me, the answer I think is no. And if we're going to, let's compare carry-on to kind of a similar situation for somebody who's probably owned a lot less frequently and somebody like AJ Dillon, where if Aaron Jones were to get hurt, I think AJ Dillon has a realistic role as the early down running back with Jamal Williams coming in for pass downs, and he could really have some value. I don't think that we can confirm the same with Kirion, where there's this concern that I don't even know if he has a value in the case of an injury. So I think Kirion's a pretty easy cut at this point. Yeah. Dalton agreed? 100%. I think the thing with Kirion is like he's like almost like the Rex Burkhead of this backfield where um, he he can do both roles, but he doesn't do it well enough to get Peterson off the field and he's not good enough pass catcher to get Swift off the field. And even in a case of an injury, like he's still competing with one of those other guys there. So like there's really not much upside unless both those players get injured to really warrant it. So uh, I'm totally with you. Like I don't see there's any upside in holding it right now. Yeah, that would be, that would be a little bit of an L for uh, zero RB years, but you know what? You didn't spend too much draft cap on him. Todd Gurley, Mike, uh, are we, uh, we, we kind of saw the argument from earlier in the year. He's going to get all the touches to himself. Hopefully that actually has turned out not to be entirely the case. Maybe some passing down work again, not entirely the case without those touchdowns last night, owners are really panicking and he is in a Kenyon Drake situation. So is now a good time to sell. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I think you're getting pennies on the dollar regardless. I think most sharp owners know what Todd Gurley's value is right now, but He's a touchdown or bust kind of player. And with touchdowns being so random, it's not necessarily what you're hoping for in a fantasy player. And I think that if there's ever a time to sell him, it's now. If you can get out after a two touchdown performance and get something reasonable back, it would it would be a miracle. It would be great okay. to do. So, so I would certainly sell as soon as possible because I don't know when his next two touchdown performance is coming. Are you selling him for Damian Harris? Someone offers you that trade. I'm not quite there yet just because there's less competition for Gurley, but in a sharp league, and I also would hope that you'd be able to get more for Gurley based on name recognition, based on being the primary back for his offense. I don't think that most people are as high on Damian Harris as I am, but I don't think it's an irresponsible trade to make. I think that one's trending in one direction and the other is trending violently in the wrong direction. Yeah, I, the fact that I even felt like I needed to ask that question, I kind of just shows just how Todd Gurley has been this year. Another L for the FF counselor. Dalton, Todd Gurley, are you <laughs> selling or are you holding out hope? Uh, I'm selling. Uh, the main The main thing that you drafted Todd Gurley was to be a workhorse for the Falcons and he hasn't been that. And he also hasn't had any work in the receiving game. He's averaging two targets per game. Um, he's only seen one game over 55% of the snaps so far. So we're at a point to where, um, like, he's not what you drafted him to be. And you've literally gotten bailed out by the fact that he scored these touchdowns so far for you. So, like, naturally in the offense, like, he looks like the goal back, So those touchdowns are going to come. But do you really want to bank on a guy who doesn't have any receiving work? and you're hoping for a touchdown week to week for him, that's not the kind of guy that I want on my team. And if I can trade him for a rising asset like an Antonio Gibson or even like throw in a piece like with Gurley make that happen, or if I'm just trading Gurley and like getting like an Acre, Swift, or Dobbins and then maybe like a piece on top of that, like, dude, I would totally be looking for that right now. 
Last one. What are we doing with Kenyon Drake? I think that's an interesting one. If you have an upset Drake owner in your league and you have Todd Gurley, maybe you can get out on Gurley's two touchdowns and get Drake, who's frustrating. I think that there's a more compelling argument to... I mean, I don't even know that it's the Falcons offense, but I think if the Cardinals offense gets going and Drake is their main guy, as he's been, I think that he's going to get some touchdowns and he's had really bad luck so far. And maybe, I mean, it's not outside of his profile at this point to get some receptions, but it seems like the Cardinals prefer Edmonds in that role. And if the Cardinals offense isn't as explosive as we initially thought after week one or week two, I think there are some very viable concerns about Drake's uh value recovering and i think that if you want to flip it over to the other side and you think drake is a a good player and you think the cardinals offense is going to recover then this is the time to buy him low um i don't know that his value has been low all this low all season and last year he went on a really good run with this same offense so i think it's very compelling both sides I think that there may be still enough value left to sell him. And I just don't think that he's that much better than Kenyon Drake. So I'm leading towards the sell side. But in this running back core right now with the guys that we have healthy, there's no doubt that running backs are on the premium. And the Arizona Cardinals starting running back, that in and of itself has value. And you can get something for Drake at this point in time. That's a good point, Dalton. How do you feel about those two guys? Yeah, I mean... Compared I mean, to each other? I think... Uh, I mean, I'm still preferring Drake for sure, just because he's getting more of the opportunity right now. And a lot of Edmonds' recent performance is the fact that the Cardinals were so far down in the game that he got a lot of receiving work. So, like, um, it clearly looks like Drake is the the running back that they want out there on the field for the most part. And Edmonds sprinkles in more as, like, that third down back, which is obviously concerning for Drake because we want Drake to get work in the receiving game. So, um, I'm going to actually chalk him up as a miss because he's not someone that like I'm necessarily like starting with confidence right now. I mean, he does have a couple interesting matchups coming up, but like I mentioned earlier in the podcast about the Cardinals offense, like I'm worried about the Cardinals offense as a whole. And if Kyler Murray is not being necessarily efficient as a passer, that's obviously going to hurt Kenyon Drake as well. We saw Kyler Murray in the second half of last year, he really started to do better and become more efficient, which allowed Drake to really have those massive performances. And at this point, like, I'm not sure how much better Drake is than Chase Edmonds. And um, I I would sell if I can get a right price for him, but I'm not sure that you're able to get that. So I just want to hold on to him, and I want to see how these next couple games go in positive matchups to, before I uh, decide anything else on him. Yeah, you know, that's, that's the tough part is I don't know how much you're going to get for a guy like Drake right now. Maybe he's just a better hold. Certainly don't cut him, though, but... You know, might be a time if you're a believer like Dalton's Chase Edmonds to go get him. That is all we got for you today on the Apex Fantasy Football Podcast. So thank you so much for tuning in. If you've had some injuries, stay the course and just enjoy that football is happening. You know, we've had, uh, honestly, compared to other sports, not a terrible time with COVID so far. But we just got to take it week by week and stay with the program, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much for listening to the Apex Fantasy Football Podcast. 